It's on now. Okay, Daniel chapter 3 from verse 19, just as you're turning, just to say that it's great to have everybody here this morning, great to welcome you, and uh, I hope that everybody will be able to stay with us at the close of the service. First of all, we're gathering around the Lord's table, that's going to be the close of the service, but after we've gathered around the Lord's table, it'd be great if you come through and have tea and coffee and just share with us through in the hall. But we're going to come now and we're going to read God's Word, Daniel chapter 3, and I'm going to begin from verse 19. That's after this golden idol has been built and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego have refused Nebuchadnezzar's offer to, to bow down. He's given them another chance and they've turned them down. They've said that they will not worship this idol. And then we read in verse 19 that then... then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude towards them changed. He ordered the furnace to be heated seven times hotter than usual, and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and throw them into the burning furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the men who took up Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, wasn't it three men that we tied up and threw into the, the fire? They replied, certainly, O king. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble for no other god can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Thank God for his word to us now, and we just come and ask that he'll speak to us powerfully through that word. Let's just come and pray together. Father, we want to thank you again for this amazing episode in the the life of your people. And we thank you and praise you that This isn't just a word that we can 
look at. It's a word that is powerful and applicable to our lives. You want to speak into each one of our hearts today. Lord, help us to open our hearts and our minds to you now. In Jesus' name. Amen. We know it's a fairly well-documented phenomena that men and women, when faced with a, a sudden moment of crisis where it's likely that they're going to lose their life, that frequently the way that they fill their last moments on earth is by sending a last message to their loved ones. For example, uh, on 9-11, within 10 minutes of the first plane hitting the Twin Towers, it's reckoned that over 1,000 messages were sent by people involved in the tragedy of that day. And people who visited the, the Warsaw ghettos after the Jewish families there had been dragged off to the Nazi extermination camps, they found heartrending notes written and hidden away in all sorts of different little nooks and crannies in the ghetto buildings. But you see, on these notes, people don't say things like, I wish I'd invested my money more wisely. Or I wish I'd bought that new car. I wish I'd gone on that expensive holiday. Now on these notes, what they communicate in their last moments on earth is what really matters to them in life. What they really believe life is actually all about. And sadly, all too often, their regrets at not having given these things the kind of priority they should have. Well, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, we saw the last time we looked at Daniel, are facing just this kind of moment in their life. They're facing death, facing an unbelievably painful death because they will not bow down to this gold statue of Nebuchadnezzar's making. They will not bow down to the idols of Babylon. And they gave their last message, they gave their life message. And what we saw last time is one of the most wonderful statements of devotion and of faith in the whole of the Bible. Daniel 3, 17 and 18. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. And he will rescue us from your hand, O King. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O King, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you've set up. The question that I found myself asking myself and that I want to, to put to you right now is if we found ourselves in this kind of situation or anything like it, what would we write? What would we say? What message would we leave behind? And what would that reveal about what we really actually believe, about what really matters to us in life? But let's just uh, turn this down a notch or two here. Let's just step back from the, the dramatic and, and the life-threatening what does the way that we respond, the way we react to the lesser crises of life, what does that say 
about what we really believe, about what really matters to us in our lives. Now just let that, that question simmer away in the back of your mind as we move on now to explore the, the next episode in the faith adventure of these men's lives. So let's move on then to look first at the picture, at the dramatic scene that's, that's set before us in these verses here. So just picture it. Here are three men facing death. And they're facing it not because for them it's inescapable, but because of a thought through, considered, a deliberate choice that they've made. You see, Nebuchadnezzar had given them an opportunity to back down. He'd given them a choice. He'd given them a chance, which as we've seen for him was quite something. People didn't usually defy Nebuchadnezzar and go on breathing for very long. So for him, he'd ask them nicely. You know, just say the word. Just bend the knee to my idol. And everything will be forgotten. Everything will be back to the way it was. Refuse to do this though. And you will suffer the most unbelievably painful death. But you see, these men make the choice that Nebuchadnezzar can't imagine any men making. They refuse his offer in those wonderful words that we heard earlier. And this is when the temperature goes up. In more ways than one. Verse 19 says, Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And his attitude towards them changed. He ordered the furnace to be heated seven times hotter than usual. But you know what what it says here, that Nebuchadnezzar's attitude changed. Do you get what that's saying? What it's saying is that, that before... Nebuchadnezzar had been angry and furious. However, he'd been able to keep his anger under control. And so he'd been able to give these men this choice. Now though, now in the face of what he sees as their determined defiance, now Nebuchadnezzar, who's not used to anyone standing in his way, well basically, in our terminology, he just loses it. In fact... When it says here that his attitude changed, there is within this the thought that the expression on his face changed. Nebuchadnezzar then gave them the look. Can you imagine that? If you're a man, you probably can. But having the then most powerful man in the world The most powerful man, a man known to be totally ruthless, cruel beyond our imagining. Can you imagine what it would be like to have this man look in your direction with his face distorted by rage? Just thinking about it, it's enough to start your knees knocking. In fact, this, what I'm going to show, maybe help you to enter into the experience a little bit. That is, Saddam Hussein wasn't ever the most powerful man in the world. He wasn't. But modern-day Iraq roughly equates geographically to biblical Babylon. And you know, when he was at the, the height of his powers, when he was fighting Iran and invading Kuwait, Saddam was then given the title in Iraq of the new, of the second 
Nebuchadnezzar. Well, imagine yourself in his power. This cruel man who murdered so many of his people, including former close friends and even family members. Can you imagine him totally losing it with you? His face contorted with rage, turned in your direction. Can you imagine it? Would you like to see that? I certainly wouldn't. And when it says here that Nebuchadnezzar ordered that they heat the fire seven times hotter than usual, that's actually another indication of his rage. For seven in the Bible is, as we many of us know, is a symbolic number. It's about something being perfect, something being complete. And, and what it means then in this context, it means the ultimate It means pile on as much fuel as you possibly can. It means I want this fire as hot as it has ever been or could ever be. All this though, all of this, Nebuchadnezzar's power, his fury, the heat of this fire, all of this is underlined by what happens next. For some soldiers, we're told the strongest men in Nebuchadnezzar's army, they tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they do that so there will be no hope, humanly speaking, of escape. And then they throw them into the flaming fire of this furnace. But you see, the heat, though, is now so intense. And I think we can only imagine that there was some kind of backdraft that forced the flames out. But so fierce is this fire that the soldiers who throw these three friends in are caught in the fire as they do so. And they themselves die. Well, doesn't that say something? About Nebuchadnezzar's power, about his fury, about his ability to intimidate. I mean, that these men would rather risk death than even question his instructions. And doesn't their death, as they stand on the fringes of the fire, say something to us about his ferocity? But then think of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego's experience as they fell in to the fire. I mean, the thought of being burned alive is a fate that terrifies every sane human being. Burning your finger with a match is bad enough. And throughout history, this has always been seen as one of the most inhuman ways of treating a a human being. For even more than the, the pain, this is about obliterating another person from the face of the earth. This is really about destroying a person and attempt to erase them, to make it as if they've never lived. Now, you see, this matters now, but in the times that this was written, this was even more important. It was incredibly important. And again then, remember that these men face this by their own choice, because of their devotion to God. One word from them And all of this could have been avoided. Can you imagine then what they felt as faithful to the end? They fell into this furnace. Can you imagine it? They'd just seen the men carrying them die. Every possible escape route now seemed closed. And they'd known that God could save them. They had hoped that God would save them. But what was in their hearts and mind though? As here they fell to their fate. Courage? Knowing these men, certainly. Yes. Defiance? 
rejoicing that Nebuchadnezzar, one of history's great bullies, hadn't got his way this time. Faith. Yes, faith. Knowing that they would now see face to face the God whose glory it would seem had not been served by physically saving them, but who they'd loved and served and who in return had blessed them throughout their life. Now they were going to see him face to face. Now they were going to know him as they'd always longed to know him, to come to know in full the love that they'd only known in part, but that in life had meant everything to them. But is it possible to imagine that there would also be an element of fear here? Who could possibly face a death like this without fear? So they're there in the furnace, waiting for the pain to envelop them, waiting for the smoke to scorch their lungs and to strangle the very life from them. When suddenly they realize that they feel no pain, that they're not burned, that the smoke is having no effect on them, why they're not even tied up anymore. But if this is a surprise for them, then it seems as if it's even more of a surprise for Nebuchadnezzar. For it would seem that there's some kind of opening for view and probably at the base of, of this furnace. And, and Nebuchadnezzar looks in expecting to see three corpses being burned away. What he sees, though, amazes him. In fact, there's actually an underlying note of fear here. Nebuchadnezzar is beginning to fear. The God whose authority he's challenged. For what Nebuchadnezzar sees, verse 25, is four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. So he he, he calls them out and the high and mighty, the great and the good of the kingdom gather around them. And notice here, the, the details about their clothes. There's a lot in this passage about their clothes. And I believe that's to, to emphasize the extent of this miracle. That God even protects their clothes. There's no insurance claim here. They can't even claim for smoke damage. Verse 27. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched and there was no smell of smoke on them. You see, it looked as if they were without hope. But God saves them completely, totally, absolutely. Well, we said that we're going to look at the picture. And what a picture this is. A picture of the grace of God, of the power of God, of the faithfulness of God. What we're going to do now is is move on and and finish by seeking to learn the principle. That is the principle that stands at the very heart of this, this picture here. Now to uncover this principle, let me begin just by asking you a question. Who do you think it was that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego met in the furnace. 
Who do you think this fourth man was? The man who Nebuchadnezzar calls a son of the gods. Well, it's possible that this could be some kind of angelic messenger sent from God to these men and in this time of, of dire need. Or it's also possible that this could be Jesus. That this could be one of those rare Old Testament incidences where God himself comes to man in human form. Now, so important is this intervention here, and so unique are these circumstances, that I believe this is Jesus. Jesus came to these men in the flames. Now, we can only speculate as to what went on in in the furnace during the time they were together, but is it too much to imagine that these men would be told how much their devotion, their love, their faithfulness meant to their heavenly Father. That they would be told that because of this, that their names would live on forever. That down throughout the ages, God's people facing persecution, torture and death would always remember and take strength from their example. And these men in Turnbull, surely in the furnace. They would pour out their praise and adoration, their worship, their love to God in a way that not even they had ever before. But just think about this. They had hoped to get delivered from the furnace. But God instead met them in the furnace. They had thought that this experience was going to be the end of their life, that it would destroy them, that it would finish them, and instead, this became the greatest experience of their life. Because the furnace was the place where they met God in a way they never had before. The furnace was the last place they wanted to be. Going into the furnace was the last thing that they wanted to do. But because God was there, because He was with them, the furnace became for them the most wonderful place on earth. And no matter what life held for them in the future, there would be nothing in life that would ever mean more to them than their furnace time. Let me ask you, do you think that they would ever forget that day when God met them in the furnace? Of course they wouldn't. You never forget the moment God meets you in the furnace. For many of us here today have been in furnaces of one kind or another, have we not? That is, we found ourselves facing circumstances we found ourselves in situations that threaten to overwhelm us, that are just too much for us. And we know we've been through hard times before and we've suffered before and we've maybe been down before. But it's been manageable in some way. We've been able to, to struggle through. But you see, then we find ourselves in situations that we just can't cope with. We're overwhelmed by what we're facing and the suffering and grief and sadness perhaps are too much for us to be able to take in, to absorb. We are in the furnace 
beyond the end of ourselves. And then God comes. He comes to us in a way that he never has before. We know the closeness and intimacy of his presence in a way that we never have before. I want to say to you, I've been in that place. I've, I know I've never been through what some of you people here have. And I'm fairly sure that I haven't experienced the Lord as some of you have. But I have had something at least of this kind of experience of God in my life. And it's been a landmark. It is a landmark. It's something that I'll never forget. It's something that is a great comfort to me in all the lesser challenges of life that in common with all of you that I have to face. Just imagine though, if these men had missed out on this. Imagine if instead of going into the furnace, they'd chosen to avoid it. Imagine what they would have missed out on if they'd made that choice. And imagine what so many millions of others who've been blessed by their example would have missed out on too. Now the reason why I say this, the reason why I mention this, is it because it seems to me that so many people today, when they become Christians, they seem to think that God promises them a furnace-free life. That the Christian life should be about joy. It should be about trouble-free contentment. That if they've got faith in God, that God should make their life smooth and easy, comfortable and pleasant. And if hardship should come, if illness should come their way, well then they believe, you know, a quiet prayer should be enough to sort that out. And if it isn't, and let me tell you, sometimes it isn't. Well, then God's let them down. God isn't delivering. The Christian life isn't all that they believe it was cracked up to be. Now, you see, this is a fairly modern version of Christianity. In fact, it isn't a version. It's a perversion of Christianity. For where in the Bible does it ever say that being a Christian will mean living an easy life, never mind a trouble-free life. The Bible doesn't say that. No, it says, come to God. Put your faith in what Christ has done for you in the cross and you will come to know a great God and you will experience a great love and you'll be filled with a great joy and peace. But it also says that you will at the same time experience trouble and hardship, suffering and pain. Just one verse. John 16, one verse. This is what it says. It says, in this world, you will have trouble. But Jesus goes on, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. You see, too many of us spend all our time trying to avoid the furnace-like situations of life. Or when they're unavoidable, because we don't expect things like this to happen to us. Well, we cave in. We turn in on ourselves. We get downhearted and bitter, even angry at God. What instead we need to learn to do is to turn to God in these situations. To open ourselves up to God. We need to come and we need to ask God to come to us in a special way. We need to ask 
for the presence of that fourth man in our lives. You know, maybe you're here this morning and you're going through a tough time in your life. And you've been praying, Lord, get me out of this. Get me out. The pain's too much and I understand that. But could it be that God wants to first come to you in your situation? Could that be? Or maybe you're at a place in your life where you feel that God's calling you into some area of service or of ministry, but you're afraid of it. It seems too much. It seems to demand too much of you. This is your furnace. Is God maybe calling you today to take the first step into that furnace so that he can meet you there? Or maybe you're going through a hard time at work or at school, wherever, and you're praying, Lord, take me out of this. Lord, take me somewhere easier. Take me somewhere better. But I just want to pose the question. It might be right that you get taken somewhere different or better, but I just want to ask the question. Does God want you to stay where you are? That he might change not only you and not only work in you, but that through you change the environment you work in, the people you work with. For certainly, Nebuchadnezzar was changed here. I don't think he was converted at, at this point. I don't. Later events seem to certainly argue against that. But he was most definitely changed. Why, he not only praises their God and not only promotes these men to even higher positions in his empire, where they'll have even more power and be able to exert even greater influence for the Lord. Not only that, he actually praises these men for doing what he was going to have them executed for, for defying his authority, something that I'm certain had never, ever happened before. In Babylon. But you see, Nebuchadnezzar's perspective has begun to change. He's beginning to realize that there is one greater than him after all. Friends, we can be used in the same kind of way. God is ready to come to us in our furnace. If only we're ready to open our hearts to him. If only we're ready to give our lives to him, if only we're ready to surrender our situation to him and ready for whatever he has. God can come to us if that's our heart's desire. And may that be the heart's desire of all who know him this day. Let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you for the incredible example of your servants here. And Father, we thank you for the way that you came to them in that furnace. Something that any sane person would do all in their power to avoid. But because of faith, they went into the furnace. And you met them there. And you transformed that situation and you used them for your glory. Lord, may the same be true for each of us this day. May we surrender our lives to you and ask again that you'll come and work in us in your power. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.